Welcome to Friends with Opinions, episode 23. I'm joined by good friend J.D. Caningo to talk about the restricted free agent class that's still about a, a dozen high-profile, top-end young players are remaining in the free agency. Today on uh, Monday, September 9th, Zach Warinski just signed for three for $15 million. So let's see if that affects a defenseman like Warinski and McAvoy. Uh, but we talk about some of the other uh, forwards that are still available. So happy you could join us. Thank you. Okay, JD, it's been a long time since we got back together. Talk some hockey. It's September. The season is uh, coming. I'm pretty excited about the upcoming season here, huh? Yeah, it's like one of the best times of the year, September. You know, the it's a little bit brisk in the air. The the leaves start to fall off the trees after changing color. Absolutely. And uh, you can feel the energy at the rinks. Yeah, absolutely. Heat absolutely. up here. But yeah, it's interesting talking about the upcoming NHL season, uh, the restricted free agents that still are out there. It's a kind of a bizarre year that there's like double-digit, high-profile young players still unsigned right now with uh, training camps set to begin in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, for sure. Like there's um this pretty unprecedented like the number of good RFA, like good young players that aren't committed to playing in the NHL this year. So yeah. Mitch Marner with the Leafs, we got Kyle Connor, Patrick Laine with the Jets, uh Miko Rantanen, Colorado. Yeah, uh, big one. Got Kachuk in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Um even uh, like the Bruins, Charlie Charlie McAvoy, Charlie center. McAvoy, and then Zach Wierenski, Zach Wierenski, Columbus. So um, Jesse Puljujarvi as well. Jesse Puljujarvi, I guess, is on that list. He's not. But he's not the elite. high profile. Yeah, exactly. The proven be. ones, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, so Wierenski is a big one. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of crazy how they're not signed. It's it's weird that I think because the market is in a state of transition right now. It seems like with, uh, but it seems like every off season. All the GMs and all the agents assume there's going to be a new uh, benchmark set. So then they are hesitant to set that benchmark. Whereas if it was just fluid uh, year to year, then maybe like they can come to an agreement earlier. And I think um, there's just some confusion in terms of as soon as Austin Matthews got a five-year deal, basically exactly, walking yeah. into UFA, that changed it. Because I think right now it doesn't seem like the money is the issue. It's all about the term. I think it's either uh, the the teams want to go short-term, two, three-year bridge deal or long-term, eight years. But the players w- might want to be doing a five or a six so they can get to UFA um, and, and control their destiny like uh, other leagues are doing. Yeah, absolutely. You sort of wonder whether it's uh, part of the NBA-ization of the NHL. Uh, like the NHL players are looking at other leagues and being like, well, we can totally maximize how much money we make. So Austin Matt, so... You know, when Connor McDavid signed two years ago, he signed an eight-year deal. You almost wonder whether, in retrospect, you know, if he were a free agent this year, whether he'd sort of commit to a shorter-term deal. And I think that Austin Matthews deal um, throws things into really a state of flux because Austin Matthews is going to be a UFA at age 27, whereas Connor McDavid now with the eight-year deal will be a UFA at 29. And as we know, like with aging curves, players are going to be uh, hitting their primes much sooner. So theoretically, Matthews is going to get another massive contract uh, when he's 20, you know, 25, 26 years of age. Whereas uh, McDavid, even though he's he's absolute elite, is going to be 28, 29 when he signs that. So it might like lessen his earning potential slightly. Um, but that's one of the, that's one of the, I think that's really the sticking point. I think, um, you know, there's also, 
I think the the struggle. I think teams are now realizing that they have to pay the young players, and I think the young players are now realizing that yeah, for teams to be successful, you know, you have to have very good players that are young, under twenty five, and so they've got that little bit of leverage uh, over the teams. And of course, why these players are remain unsigned, I think it's sort of um, sort of like a bottleneck that's happened. I think a lot of teams and players are just waiting to see what happens with Mitch Marner. He's sort of the highest profile guy just based on the market that he plays in. And it's been the most public dispute. And I think once Mitch Marner's numbers come out, um, you know, you'd almost expect that the rest of the teams will sort of follow suit, especially like a team like Colorado. They've got tons of cap space. And yet, and Mika Rantanen is obviously one of their top players. Uh, and yet, you know, you would have expected them to make the move first. But they're just happy to wait till the Marner situation sorts itself out. And it's interesting how the comparison to teammates plays such a factor. And I think with the, going back to the McDavid one, the, like the reason why Drysdale was able to get eight point five at that time, which many people thought was too high, was because of that comparison somewhat to McDavid. So now with Marner, I think a big part of the theme is um, comparing to Matthews and the contract that Matthews is uh, has gotten. So it kind of like if I'm Mitch Marner, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why it's such a slam dunk that Austin Matthews is more valuable from a like cap perspective than Mitch Marner. I mean, is it just because he's a center? Because like Austin Matthews had 37 goals, 73 points in 68 games. Meanwhile, Mitch Marner had 94 points, 26 goals, and he played all 82. Yeah. And that, he's more reliable. He puts up more points from the wing. And... Uh, he is the best creator on the team. Like, why shouldn't he get more as much as Matthews? Is what I don't understand. It's it's been a funny debate. I think if you listen to Leaf fans during the hockey year, they all talk about how great of a player Mitch Marner is. And then this summer, they've been almost denigrating Mitch Marner because he plays on the wing, because he's a smaller player, because he plays on a line with John Tavares. These are all reasons why, you know, he doesn't merit the same contract as Austin Matthews. Yet, during the season, they were talking as if Mitch Marner was one of the top five players in hockey. So, you know, I, I can sort of see, I've, I've argued on this podcast before that Mitch Marner deserves sort of every penny that Austin Matthews got. Um, and that's, I think, really what's holding the situation up. Um, and then even from, uh, yeah, like I think, like there's, there's rumors that Marner really wants to stay in Toronto. I think on, over the summer on 31 Thoughts, um, Friedman speculated that the Jackets had actually offered uh, Mitch Marner a uh, possible offer sheet. Oh, really? Um, and yet yeah, he declined they have space, it. space, right? Yeah, so they've got space. They've got picks. And you would think that potentially those picks would be attractive for the Leafs, given that the Jackets, there's a lot of uncertainty about their team mm -hmm. uh, in the next, like going forward, given the exodus this summer. But um, yeah, there is this feeling that Marner definitely wants to play in Toronto. Uh, and what is it that he's holding out for? Is it the, the dollar amount? He wants something approaching the 11 and a half that Matthews is getting? Or is it really the term where he wants to walk into UFA status as well? Mm -hmm. And then going uh, back to that kind of theme about uh, comparing to teammates, you know, Nathan McKinnon is on a steal of a contract, probably the best contract. I think he's like around 6 million a year, like for what he's doing, 99 points last year. So Miko Rannan getting 87 points in 74 games, you know, he could probably command close to those 10 million as well. If Mitch Marner is going to get it, then he's kind of in that upper echelon, in my opinion, as well. And he was leading the league in scoring for the good part of the first half last year. So, but if they have Rannan making 10 million and then McKinnon's making 
like around six, then what, what's the, like, is there a weird dynamic there where Rantanen has to take a discount to be at eight million? And as you say, they have tons of cap space. They have a lot of great deals on the books in Colorado. And, um, yeah, like, so I think that's a bit of a weird one as well. Yeah. He's that's... still very young as well, though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think based on the current market, Rantanen deserves to make way more than uh, what McKinnon signed for. Yeah. I mean, even though McKinnon's probably a better player, it's hard to use that as a comparable, given that it was signed many years ago and obviously yeah. at a cut rate. So yeah. I think Rantanen probably will get his money, but it does sort of create internal dynamics. I think one of the reasons the Penguins have been successful is that Sidney Crosby took less money, right? So yeah. he, took, he was forever capped at $8.7 million. Malkin maybe made a little bit more, but not substantially more. And mm-hmm. the, the party line in Pittsburgh was that, you know, Sidney Crosby's only making this much. Just, uh, you know, this is how much we're He's sacrificing. He's taking the lead yeah. to sacrifice. Yeah, so, you know, you wonder, though, like whether going forward, you know, where the, the status of the individual, where team, where players are just more sort of aware of their rights and sort yeah. of fight for their right, whether they care about any of that stuff. You know, and that might be part of the reason that cultural shift that's happening as well might be part of the reason why they remain unsigned, right? They want their, their fair market value. Um, and it's going to be interesting when that pressure point comes where whether they capitulate or whether they, they, they remain highly principled and say, no, I'm sitting out for the rest of the year. And that's going to come. That's going to come probably, it, it may come in the next week as training camps start um, later this week for some of the players. Um, or, you know, we may end up in the Nylander-like situation last year where he ended up signing at the 12th hour. And, I mean, there have all, all historically been a lot of hold, holdouts in the past. Like, it's not a new thing to have holdouts. But I think the sheer volume here is kind of alarming. And looking to some other leagues, like, why can't the NHL get it done a little bit sooner? It just seems like the GMs and the agents are, like, playing hardball to the nth degree with each other. And if they just kind of try to meet eye-to-eye a little bit earlier things could have been done in a more orderly fashion, I would think. It's yeah. kind of changed a bit where uh, they're really playing like hardball with each other to con- get the best deal. But For sure. You it's wonder because if the cap the, is so important. You wonder whether there's that collusion. Well, there's a few factors probably that play a role. I think the fact that uh, there's more and more knowledge about aging curves and the fact that you know younger players will hit their peak around 26, 27 years of age, uh, whereas hockey 10 years ago was far different. There's more recognition of that. And I think with the value of, you know, analysts and more data to sort of inform these decisions that teams are more, you know, they're more, uh, they're more careful with their money. Like, you know, nobody wants to offer um, 29 year olds or 30 year olds the big money anymore, long term deals. Um, so that's been a definite change in the market over the last few years. And is it like part of this as well related to um, arbitration rights and I don't I don't believe they do have ar- arbitration rights these RFAs yeah and maybe if they did then they could have gotten a one or two year deal done earlier and then if they you know the team really wanted to get a long-term deal then maybe that sets the deadline for them to get something done it just seems like business could be operated a little bit more orderly fashion get this done for instead of basically people sitting on their hands for two months all summer long and then as soon as training camp comes, now we start negotiating because there's something to lose. Yeah, it's just a funny, like hockey is really funny, like how yeah, everything just, shuts down for like seven weeks. Like uh, NBA, the guys, all they signed on the first day, like they negotiate the contract, the contract is what it is, they go, go, yeah. go for it. Yeah, I mean, you sort of wonder like with the CBA, uh, you know, whether in the next CBA that's going to be something that's going to change. Like as we've discussed, like younger players are having... 
uh, more po- like younger players are the best players in the league now. Like mm-hmm. if you're under 25, you're likely to be one of the better players um, in the league. Um, and those are the players that will have more clout. And so things like entry level deals, arbitration, you know, um, having to extend qualifiers, all that type of stuff. Who knows whether that's going to be one of the battles that's going to happen in the next CBA. Um, I think one of the other interesting things is, you know, as I was sort of alluding to earlier, whether Connor McDavid, if he was a UFA right now, what would, it, would his, his deal look like? And, you know, would he, would he take a deal that takes him to UFA a lot sooner? And you know how in the NBA, like all the best players sign one or two year deals. And the whole point of that is that at the end of the, de- at the, end of the deal, they can still get the max contract mm-hmm. and the max keeps going up year after year, right? Yeah. And so you sort of wonder whether as part of maybe the next CBA, they get rid of things like entry level contracts. I mean, it's gonna, if that is a battle they're gonna have, that's gonna be you know, potentially jeopardized part of the season because it could be a big debate. But, you know, you sort of wonder whether players will want a little bit more freedom, um, especially in their, you know, in their under 25 years. I think there needs to be more flexibility in the contracts in the NHL in terms of the cap. Like other leagues, when you buy out the player, then they can come off the cap. So you still have to eat it. And I see how that's an advantage for the the richer teams. But it's just kind of disappointing that the teams become so hamstrung and then it ends up negatively affecting the, how, the, how they can perform on the field. Like, we want to see a good product where everybody's putting their best team forward. And it's just kind of, as a fan, it's frustrating that uh, there's no flexibility whatsoever. For sure. A soft cap or something where teams can kind of, when they're going for it, maybe they go over the cap, and when they're not, they're not they pull back, and, and you know, they can use the yeah. cap as a weapon. I, mean, I, think I guess every... they have to give up more money somehow, but maybe if the hard cap is lower, but then the soft cap... I don't know. They, they can figure. The yeah. smarter people can figure it I out. I mean, I think uh, one of the challenges too is it's not good for the players as well. Like you look at Carl Osner, he signed a big deal two years ago. Yeah. And uh, he's been out of the NHL now, basically for the last eighteen months because he couldn't hang in the NHL. And you know, there's probably teams that would hire Kyle Ol- Carl Osner to play sort of in their bottom pairing yeah. for like league minimum. Yeah. Um, yet he can't play in the NHL because he's got a massive contract. And I'm sure every team in the NHL has got contracts like that where they've had to bury or they've had to, uh, where players haven't been able to play. So it's all, you wonder whether it's in the player, player's interest as well to sort of argue for, um, for some cap relief or ways to deal with those cap issues. Yeah, like Luongo once said, like, oh, I have a crappy contract. Yeah, like, my know, contract like, sucks. Yeah, my contract sucks. So, um, so yeah, I definitely think that I, like from my perspective as a fan, I want to see all these players out there. Yeah, like can and, you imagine? Uh, Brock like... Besser is another one as well. Oh yeah, for sure. That's a huge one in Vancouver there. Um, and from my, my perspective of my fantasy team, at least five of these guys are on my team. So. Oh yeah. Uh, well, you wonder like if suppose like nothing gets done with any of like, yeah. this coming week, so they're gonna miss parts of training camp. Yeah. Um, suppose like it goes another couple weeks and they're not guaranteed to be in the opening day lineups. And then as we've seen over recent years, players that have missed parts of training camp, it's really hard to sort of get back into the flow. Um, it, it's, it's a tough adjustment coming in mid-season. So you sort of wonder, like, is that a good thing for the NHL? It's so many quality players. It's almost like there's a video game glitch. And, like, you know, you're playing NHL 20, and there's a video game glitch, and all these guys are just sort of unsigned. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just really weird. Um, and you sort of wonder if that's really in the best interest of the game to have. And why, like, why not? Uh, why can't the players show up to training camp like sort of without a contract, 
maybe have something temporary so that they're still in the flow of the game. And then what ends up happening, I think, is that pressure shifts to the team as the regular season actually comes because he won't play in the regular season unless he has a contract. But play at least go to training camp and get in yeah. the flow. I think in the NFL, they can like you can report, you can show up for training camp, participate in team activities, and then still continue negotiating before the first game. You, you sort of wonder, though, whether players feel like their leverage would be... They'd hand, hand away their leverage in that situation. I know, but would it actually? I mean, that's the conventional, quote-unquote, conventional wisdom. But maybe if they did show up to training camp, then the pressure starts shifting to the team as the regular season comes along because they can see, hey, this guy's fit, this guy's with it, he can play. Yeah, and he, and we need him, you know. Ways. I think yeah. it can go both ways. I think like I'm just kind of questioning that. That's what happens all the time. But maybe it'd be better for the players to also like. What if they do end up negotiating well, uh, the know, last minute? Then they then he could have had a training camp or not. Like I mean, as somebody that's watched uh, Canada, like following the Canada basketball saga uh, this summer, you know, you sort of seen like how players without contracts they don't even want to like practice because they're afraid but that's that basketball gonna... <laughs> i'm saying hockey <laughs> no but i'm you know you wonder whether these players think that they're gonna you know step on a puck and they're gonna tweak their groin they're done and they're not gonna get paid you know but what are they gonna do in the meantime like they're not gonna work out they're not gonna skate they are but you know they get so to do it sort of under you know without uh the gazing eyes of their of their coaches and of the general managers uh, you know, already, like, there's talk Mitch Werner is going to train with Zurich Lions. Uh, some of the European players are probably training with three club teams that they'd played on back home in Europe. I know so, that's how it is, but, like, why can't we, why can't we question that approach? Like, maybe if he, Mitch Werner shows up and he starts ripping it up in training camp and making everybody a fool, then people start questioning, like, why doesn't the GM get something done, you know? Yeah, like it could shift the Yeah, it could shift the attention towards the management. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. I just feel like in the modern day with players, you know, wanting to make 50, 60 million dollar contracts, I don't know if that's a risk that they would want to do, you know, going to practice without a contract yeah. or assurances. I don't know. Yeah, I guess, but I, I just personally, I think the RFAs, I hope they all sign like in short order if one of them falls. Because we want to see them play. Well, you, I, I guess the last point on this is you sort of wonder if there's it, this whole situation is holding up like other transactions, right? Yeah. So all these teams, like there's a, a half dozen teams that need to sign a massive player to their team, and yet they they can't make any other decisions on trades or uh, you know other free agents because of this. And you sort of, sort of wonder like the minute the first one signs, whether they're all going to come down like dominoes, and whether it's just going to sort of cause a flurry of activity. But then Aho signed at like a pretty reasonable deal. Why shouldn't that set the benchmark? Yeah, I'm a bit surprised that that wasn't uh, more of a precedence setter. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, he's he signed for eight point five or eight point four five over a five year uh, term. Um, I guess again the term, right? The five yeah, years. Yeah, so it could be that the five years yeah. walks him right into the UFA. So yeah. that could be one of the things. But you know, I think if the Leafs were to get Marner at that rate, we'd yeah. be happy with that eight and a half million for uh, a ninety point player. But yeah, but for five years, but they would probably bank on him wanting to stay since he. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot can happen in five years as well. You know, you win Stanley Cups, you, uh, you know, your circumstances could change. Yeah, time. and uh, I think like Matthew Kachuk is another big one. It'll be interesting to see where his value comes because he did, surprisingly does put up, you know, top uh, like set 
close to 80 points. I think he had 77 yeah. points and, last and year. And Flames are another team that yeah. has kind of like that internal cap with, uh, well, Johnny Goudreau signed at a bit of a cut rate as well. And so you wonder whether that's, you know, exactly, yeah. that's one of the barriers for him. Yeah, and then Besser will be interesting as well. So, yeah, let's hope uh, the RFAs get signed. We can watch him play some hockey. <laughs>